Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of 1 John. If you do not have a Bible, there are Bibles on the back table next to the giving box. Today marks the fourth and final week of our series entitled That You May Know. And in this series, we have been examining the four marks of a true Christian according to this book, 1 John. And, and the reason we've been examining the, the marks of a true Christian is actually pretty simple. Uh, I want to know whether or not I'm a true Christian. Amen? Do you? <laughs> I think we should be. Uh, the Bible tells us to, uh, to, to test and make sure of our calling and election. And that's a good thing that, uh, that, that, that most of us, I pray, want to know that we are true Christians. It's a biblical thing, in fact. The, the Lord wants us to be sure because the whole of the Christian life hinges on knowing where we stand with God. That is not an overstatement. The whole of the Christian life hinges on knowing. Uh, without knowing for certain, that I've been forgiven for my sin without knowing for certain that I've been saved from death and granted eternal life. Without this assurance, I don't know what your life looks like, but my Christian life feels an awful lot more like an audition than a celebration. I, in my Christian life, when I lack assurance of where I stand with God, I constantly wonder if I have done enough to win God's approval with my good works, I constantly wonder if I have earned my spot in heaven, that I'm holy enough. And with this mindset, when, when I wake up in the morning to pray, when I read my Bible, when I go to church, when I uh, have the opportunity to help someone who might be poor, uh, without an assurance of where I stand with God, those things that I do, cultivating my prayer life and reading the word, I tend to do them, I, I almost habitually then do them, not for the sheer delight of knowing and worshiping the God who has redeemed me, but in fact, I wake up early to pray and I read my Bible and I help the poor because I'm trying to earn my salvation. That's, that's what happens when we aren't assured of where we stand with God. Now friends, forgiveness and salvation and eternal life are not things to be earned. I hope you hear this. I don't know what you were told growing up, don't know what your church background is, but true Christianity is not and has never been about your performance, but about Jesus's performance his perfect life lived in place of yours. His death died so that you don't have to face the wrath of God's anger against sin. It's about Jesus' performance. It's about his coming to earth to live perfectly, dying on the cross to forgive and save. It's about his raising to life to grant us eternal life. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, your only hope for forgiveness and salvation. 1 John 5.1 says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ 
has been born of God. Remember, this book, 1 John, was originally a letter written between the, the years of 80 to 90 AD. It's the first century. The Christians to whom this letter was written, well, they were being told by false teachers that Jesus is not the Christ sent from heaven to save sinners. And these first century Christians, as you can imagine, were completely confused. They didn't know what to believe about forgiveness and eternal life. And thank God, the Apostle John, the last remaining eyewitness of Jesus' disciples, all the other disciples had been executed in horrendous ways, but the Apostle John was still living in and around the city of Ephesus, we believe, and he wrote this letter that we now call the book of 1 John to silence the false teachers. He wrote them. He was the eyewitness of Jesus. He says, no, churches scattered around Ephesus, Christians who are confused. Jesus is God. Jesus is Christ. And belief in him is the first and most important mark of a true Christian and of someone who ought to be assured of their salvation. Now, we looked at this in week one, just doing a few minutes of a recap. Will your belief and my Christian belief be perfect? No. No. Of course we're going to wrestle with doubt. Of course we will. But here's the question, dear believer. On the whole of your life, do you believe Jesus? If you do, that's a tremendously encouraging sign. The first and most important mark of genuine Christianity, of being born of God by the Holy Spirit. The other three marks that we've been looking at, the fourth that we're going to look at today, they're results of this mark, all right? We asked a couple weeks ago, do you strive to obey what God commands in the Bible, dear Christian? Do you try to do what he says? Do you try to avoid what he forbids? I mean, obedience to God is not only in our best interest, it's also the second mark of a true Christian. 1 John 2, 3, by this we know that we have come to know God if we keep his commandments. Now, believer, of course your obedience is not going to be perfect. But over the course of your life, you will grow in real obedience if you really believe Jesus because what we believe ultimately influences how we behave does. Belief in Jesus will take root. You will see growth and obedience in your life. How about this, the third mark of a true Christian? Do you have a growing hatred for sin, towards sin? 1 John 3, 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. When we do things that God forbids or when we fail to do what God demands, it's more than an act of rebellion against him. It's hatred toward him. We looked at this last week in the definition of lawlessness, which is what sin is. And, and so the Apostle John's logic is how could a true Christian born of God continue to embrace the very things that oppose God? Now, will a true Christian ever sin Yes, 
Will a true Christian struggle with patterns of sin and even at times addictions to sin? I believe so, that a true Christian will sometimes struggle in those ways. But the key word that we're looking for is struggle. A true Christian will not be able to unashamedly and apathetically and sustainedly embrace sexual immorality and substance abuse and lying and cheating and gossip because when we are born of God, that is when the Holy Spirit enters our hearts supernaturally and and creates a new heart, regenerates our heart and our mind, we will slowly but surely begin to hate what God hates, sin. And what we're going to see today, we will slowly but surely begin to love what God loves or whom God loves. Does this logic make sense? Am I being clear? The last thing I want is to end a series on assurance with absolutely no one being assured that they are saved. Amen? We need to know. And so this morning, we're gonna look at the fourth and final mark of a true Christian offered to us by the Apostle John. See, here's the thing. The Gnostic teachers, the false teachers that had entered these churches, not only were they undermining belief in Jesus, but everything else was trickling from that. They were claiming to know God, but they weren't obeying God. They were claiming to walk with God, but they weren't hating sin. They were claiming to love the things that God loves, but they weren't loving God's people. And so there's a very systematic and logical flow to John's thoughts. And being that this is our last week in this letter, the book of 1 John, I would encourage, I would commend it to you for your own personal reading this week. Just sail through it a few times. Get it. Get it kind of at the back of your hand. Understand John's logic and his flow. It's beautiful. So would you open with me to 1 John chapter 4? I'm going to start reading from verse 7, and this is our passage this morning. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What a great passage. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just thank you for your word. Oh, would you encourage the saints this morning? Would you edify the saints? 
God, would you allow us even right where we sit right now at this moment by the Holy Spirit to just examine our lives and celebrate any evidence of our love for others. The only way that we could truly have done that in our lives is by the gracious love of Jesus being poured out into us. So thank you. And convict us with this passage. Lord, teach us with this passage what we ask for at the end of this day, at the end of this time in your word, is that even if it's just millimeters, Lord, you would have grown us in our understanding and our affection for Jesus and our affection for one another. It's in his name we pray, amen. Well, this morning, uh, the outline uh, is, is gonna be pretty simple and straightforward. I have four points, but they're all really connected, and it's going to go rather quick after the first point. This morning, if you're a note taker, we're going to look at what love is, and then we're going to look at why we should love, who we should love, and how we should love. And really, except for the how, although that's even in this passage as well, this passage offers all of these things, you know... Preachers aren't supposed to create points that aren't in the passage. So we're looking at what love is, why we should love, who we should love, and how we should love because it's really, it's, it's brought forth in this passage. So let's lean into it. Uh, look back at your passage. Uh, John tells us in verse seven that love is from God and therefore serves as pretty key evidence that we have been born of him when we love like God does. He adds in verse 8, the Apostle John adds in verse 8 that anyone who does not love clearly does not know God intimately because of this absolutely profound statement, God is love. Now there are only a handful of things that the Bible says this about. God is spirit. God is light. God is holy, a consuming fire. God is love. And this means that, that, that love is not merely an attribute of God that he puts on from time to time. But what this means is that love is intrinsic to the very personhood of God, which according to the Bible, we learn God consists of three eternal, inseparable, yet distinct persons. We are Trinitarian in this church. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's only, listen to this, it is only because God is triune that he can be in his very essence, love. Now any uh, uh, Aryan theologian, such as a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon who says, well, I don't subscribe to a trinity, but I do believe God is intrinsically love. Ask them how. How is that possible if in and of himself he is not loving? Otherwise, he would have had to create the world and all of us to have somebody to love. But scripture says it's been before the foundations of the world that God has been love, is love, right? It's only because he is triune that in his very essence, he is love. And the type of love we are speaking of 
is not a selfish taking love. There's a Greek word for that, eros, the word that we get erotic from. Think of that kind of love, taking. It's all about me and my pleasure. The love we see in the Godhead amongst the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is not a give and take love, like some sort of brotherly exchange. That Greek word is phileo. No, the love that exists between God the Father loving the Son and Spirit, God the Son loving the Father and Spirit, God the Spirit loving the Father and Son, the love that exists within the Trinity is agape. It is self-giving. It is not taking, it is not contractual as in some sort of an exchange. It is all give. And this is what the Lord has been doing since before creation. Amazing. Verses nine and 10, John gets a little clearer for us because our desire in point number one, what is love? And there's a million songs that we think of, you know, what is love? And you start, anyway, um, John John starts to bring us a little closer to a helpful practical definition. He says in verse nine, in this, okay, so we're getting somewhere, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That is, it became plain to us. Uh, In this, this is how we see that agape triune love is that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. John continues in verse 10, in this is love. In other words, if we were the uh, first century Christians reading this passage and we are instructed to love others because that's what God wants us to do, we would pay attention right about now because here's our definition. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and here's what that love looked like. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we have, we didn't conjure up any love of God's that he would respond to us and send his son. God, 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 the the Trinity is is eternally self-giving. It wasn't our love that provoked his that's too much like how I husband often. When I see my, love, my, my wife loving me, that's when I am willing to repay. That's not what we're talking about here at all. And in those moments as a husband, I greatly miss the mark. So hold this thought for just a second. God sending his son to be the propitiation of our sins. This is the sign and symbol of biblical love. Hold that. As a people, as you and I, who have every one of us in our own way rebelled against the creator God. We have all disobeyed. We have all failed to do perfectly what his word has told us to do, right? As a people who are deserving then of God's punishment, which is hell, as a people who are deserving of separation from him, yours and my greatest need on the planet is not a better job, not money, it's not power, it's not sex, because what good are all of these earthly temporal things if we are running headlong into eternal separation from God? Our absolute greatest need, yours and mine, as sinful and separated human creatures is to be forgiven of our sin. 
It is to be brought back into the relationship our creator God had intended for us to have with him since the beginning. It is to be welcomed into eternal life. This is precisely what Jesus accomplished by being the propitiation for our sin. The word propitiation, if you would like a helpful uh, definition, is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. In one word, the Apostle John is saying this, believers, God is love and we are to love like him and this is what that love looks like, sacrifice. Sacrifice. It is placing someone else's needs above our own. It is desiring someone else's good above our own. It is acting for someone else's benefit before our own. This is what we are, this is the, the functional, practical definition of love that we are gonna use for the short remainder of our time. Um, back in the day when I was, uh, I would have been in college, my sister was an incredible ballerina. She traveled all over the world, uh, going to intensives and performing in shows. Um, after one particular audition, another ballerina who had failed to secure us a part in the show, this ballerina in the dressing room began to grumble about how much she had sacrificed only to be turned down by the instructor. Well, apparently the instructor overheard her comment and he came into the room and in an incredibly pastoral moment told her, a sacrifice is putting someone else's best interest before your own. Ballet is, a sa is not a sacrifice because you are not doing this for someone else's interest. It is a choice. Don't ever forget that. Interesting. Prophetic moment in the ballet studio. Love is sacrifice. A very fitting sermon topic uh, considering the fact that we find ourselves on Memorial Day weekend. Talk about sacrifice. To truly love someone in a godly way, the way that God intends you and I to love is to desire and to act for the deepest good of someone else. Now, love may or may not include the feeling of love. Oftentimes, if you've been married for a long time, you'll know that it is often our loving action toward our spouse that brings with it an affection. But love is not always a feeling, nor should we reduce it down to such as our culture really has. Love is not a contract to be given in exchange for goods or services. Oh, when my wife loves me, that's when I will love her. Oh, when my husband loves me, uh, you know, when I see these things happening, well, then I'll start doing this and that and the other. Love is a covenant. It is not a contract. Uh, Scott shared with us in the liturgy this morning. It's to be given 
really unconditionally, there is a condition there. We'll get to that. God's love toward us is conditional based upon Jesus's perfect performance, not upon ours. So as far as our performance is concerned, God's love toward us is unconditional, so to speak. It doesn't matter if the person to our right or left or the person sharing our home with us is deserving of love. It doesn't matter if our coworker is lovable or our classmate is lovable. Love is, regardless, patient. It is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not rude. It is not arrogant. Love does not insist on its own way because love, by its very nature, taken from within the Godhead, is self-sacrificing. Love desires and acts for the deepest good of someone else. This is what love is. Why should we love? Point number two, John writes in verse 11, we ought to love one another in this way because, not rocket science, God loved us in this way. And if you need any physical evidence of that whatsoever, look at Jesus. Look, read the biography of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the crucifixion account. And this is love. God sending his son to be the sacrifice to absorb the wrath of heaven against sin so that mercy could be poured out upon repentant sinners unbelievable, self-giving love. There was nothing lovely in us that merited Jesus' coming. None whatsoever. We were running headlong into our sin. The scriptures are clear. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. I said it earlier. God's love is not reactive, it's proactive self-sacrifice. So think, Christian, about the gospel. Think about the good news that we have in Jesus. Have we not reaped the benefit of God's self-sacrificial love toward us? Jesus placed our deepest need above his own. He placed our deepest good before his own. He was willing from time immemorial to be cut off from the Godhead, to be separated from the Father, to be scourged on a cross to reconcile sinners who were not asking to be reconciled. How could we not look at this love and desire to go and do the same? Imagine being pulled from a burning office building by a selfless coworker. This coworker pulls you out and then imagine from the safety of the parking lot, you're standing there and you're looking at a building full of coworkers that is, that is burning. Imagine saying, I'm, I'm clocking out for the day and going and getting in your car and leaving. It's unconscionable. John's like, beloved. By the way, it's no accident that John is calling them beloved. Those who are loved by me and already loved by God. 
how intentional it is that he's calling. Beloved, you've been pulled from a burning building. This is my translation. By the hands of another, you are the beneficiary of a self-sacrificing God if you have truly believed on his name, on the name of Jesus. How will you not go and do the same? How will you be able to keep yourself from loving others in this way? Look at what you've been given. And then he adds this little snippet at the end of our passage in verse 12. Oh, and when you do, dear Christians, when you love one another like this, God's love is made perfect in you. And so here's a quick exhortation. Brother or sister, if you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling spiritually dry, you're feeling dull, you're feeling distant from God's love, Are you wanting to taste and behold a fresh experience of God's love this summer? Then start giving this love away. Look, clamor for people to love in Jesus' name. And I promise, his his love is made perfect in this. You will taste anew the love of God in your loving of others. Now, that begs the question, number three, who, who we should love. The Bible is... It replete with answers that we love the world, we love our spouses, we love our families, our neighbors, our enemies, strangers. In a word, we ought to love others, which is why I titled this, Do You Love Others? But John, we need to pay attention to something here. John was intending this letter to be read out loud in in the several churches that were probably located in Ephesus in the first century. And while they were reading this letter out loud, they would have gotten to verse 7, 11, and 12. Listen to the repetition of language. Let us love one another. We also ought to love one another. If we love one another, The key recipient of Christian love, according to John, the book of 1 John, in this passage, is our fellow Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's why. In in the same way that uh, as a pastor, I have no right to lead a congregation if I am not already leading my family well? In this sort of same sense, so the Christian community has no right to go and and even attempt to love those outside the church if we are not already loving those inside the church well. Does that make sense? I mean, what hypocrites would we be to buy uh, plane tickets to third, third world countries and pour out the love of God on these people, and yet we have absolutely zero time or patience for the person sitting next to us right now? Uh, hypocrisy to the 10th degree. And I think that that's kind of the, the, the root of John's thought process. Last week's passage, we ended in chapter 3, verse 10. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so one pastor that was reading this week, he had some, just a couple helpful introspective questions. Believer, let me ask you, do you honestly care for other Christians? 
Or are you cold and uncaring and aloof or indifferent when others are sharing in community group, when you hear a need? Do you have a desire to reach out? Is there any ember inside that flickers and you want to reach out and say, brother, I hear you. I love you. I'll be praying for you. If I can help you, let me know how. If that's you, man, you ought to be soothed right now. You ought to be soothed. If you believe Jesus, if there's some evidence of obedience, God, and growing obedience to God, hatred towards sin, if you genuinely, you really do look back at your life and there is a care there for believers, well then believer, be assured. Signed, sealed, delivered. Growing up, my little brother had a friend and this friend's dad was the guy who would drive around town and he would buy like the biggest Astro van you could find and he would write like, turn or burn. <laughs> You've seen those vans, right? Uh, I talked to that dad once and I asked him where he was, uh, what, what, what local congregation he was a part of and as you could probably guess, he wasn't. He said he hates the church. It's full of hypocrites, not deserving of his time, not deserving of his patience. There are others out there that brother would fail this test. Jesus loves his church so much he died for it. That's us. That's us here. There's a special invitation in loving others, especially loving the brethren and the sisterren. How would you say that? There's a special invitation this morning to us. Here it is to be set free from the claustrophobic confines of self-love. To actually believe, church, what if we did this? Actually believe when Jesus says that it's more blessed to give of ourselves to others than it is to receive. What if we actually believed it and watched his amazing grace? not even allow such love to go unrewarded. Do you not believe he wouldn't? He would reward you with more of himself. His love would be perfected in it. I want this for my life. How should we do it for? Three practical questions. Listen, if you're a believer in this room and you are wondering, mm, do I love others like this? It doesn't matter what background you've had. It doesn't matter your level of income. Income. Here's a couple of immediate questions you can ask to challenge yourself. All of them have to be done prayerfully because only the Holy Spirit can give us an actual affection for someone else. Do you listen to others? Do you listen to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you listen to your wife? Do you listen to your children? Fathers, do you ask more questions than make statements around the dinner table? At CG, do you pray before you get to community group and you ask God to give you a genuine interest for the lives of other people? 
Do you ask him to give you a genuine sympathy when a fellow believer is hurting? Do you ask him to give you a genuine joy when a fellow believer is celebrating? Do you listen when you ask the question, if you ever ask the question, brother, what physical or emotional or spiritual needs do you have? Do we really listen to the answer? 1 John 3.18, let's not let us love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Listening is a deed that leads to further deeds. And the truth aspect leads us to another practical way we can love one another in the graciousness and gentleness of Jesus. Do you ever gently rebuke another believer for patterns of sin that you see? Do you have any idea how loving it actually is to do this? It could be argued that the most unloving thing many of us do as professed Christians is to quietly and indifferently watch one another embrace sin. We would never allow a blind man to walk into a busy street I've actually witnessed that in my life, a blind man about to walk into a busy street. And guess what I did? No, 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 stop. And I ran over and grabbed him. Dude, dude, I mean, I see that you're stick. I know that you're, I, I get it. You're walking into traffic. Come back with me. Where are you going? Let me, let me help you. Clearly you've lost your way. Take that as a metaphor when was the last time we did that for a brother or sister? Dude's spending legions of years on Netflix, enslaved to his phone, and we're not saying anything. Dude, how about you log off and, and get in the word? That could be the most loving thing you might tell someone. Because our silence is actually affirmation. And I praise Jesus that when he came, he did not endorse me and affirm me in my sin, but he called me out into real life. Another thing, do you encourage people, brother or sister? Do you encourage? Do people know you as, as someone that, man, I'm down. This brother knows it. I'm probably gonna receive a handwritten letter or a text. Goodness gracious, Mark Petrus is this in my life. Dude's texting me all the time encouraging me, loving me. Brother, I feel that love. Love of God's perfected in that. Keep it going. Do we pray with others and pray for others? Goodness gracious, how do we expect as a body of believers to love other believers if we're not praying for them? Notice how each of these will take time. Each of these will take time. But I'll tell you this in closing. Love looks at the calendar. It looks inside the wallet and it says, hmm, who can I give this to? Love looks around the room right now. Love listens in community group. Love listens to the needs of the church. When you hear us announce, like I'm going to announce in Worcester this morning that we desperately need help in our children's ministry with volunteers, love listens and says, wait a minute, that may not be my favorite way to serve, but love isn't about my favorite way to serve. It's self 
giving, Trinitarian love. And the love of God is perfected in it. Love looks at the energy that we have, the zeal, and the days that we've been given, the health that we have, the job that we have, the talent that we have. We look at this time on earth and the treasures we've been given, and love asks, who can I give this to? Who can I give it? Look at the life of Jesus. The dude is never doing anything for himself. He steals away to pray. I'm sorry if that sounded um, super uh, uh, well, it's a casual calling him dude. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. Um, he, Jesus, our master and commander, our sovereign Lord, who had every right to be selfish with his time, was not. He loved him till the end and loved us till the end. Now, if you're sensing any bad news in this message whatsoever, I would still encourage you, hope is not lost. Right where you sit, believer, Ask the Holy Spirit to help you love the church. Ask him to help you love your wife or your husband or your kids. The heart here and the heart for this series has been that we would have a church of individuals who know where they stand with God, who would examine these questions. They would see inklings of growth and get excited even about the inklings that we would breathe a little lighter, that we would smile today a little bit bigger, that while we celebrate Memorial Day, that we might laugh a little louder together, not out of just blind-eyed naivety or thick-skinned stoicism, but that we would do all of those things out of certainty, of knowing that today might be the hardest day that I face, but look at this evidence in my life that follows my profession of Jesus. I am a blood-bought believer, and if this is the worst day of my life, this is as bad as it gets because it's glory from here. Let's pray. I love you, Lord, and my brothers and sisters feel the same. And it wasn't our love for us or for you that provoked your love for us. It was your love for us that has uprooted our love for the things of this world. And you have given us hearts that delight in you. Lord, let us be a people. Let us be a people who stand assured let us be a people who confidently leave this place or even just in a few moments in the cafe, let us be a people who love each other to ask good questions and to listen intently. And when we tell a brother or sister that we're gonna pray, let us actually do it. If we hear of a need, let us see if we can fill it. Let us look at our calendar this week, all of the hours of every day that go normally to ourselves, all of the pennies of my budget that, no, that go normally to myself. Let me look at these, let us look at these things and say, who can we give these things away to in Jesus' name? And the love of God is perfected in it. I wanna taste your love more and more. Lord, help me to give it away. What a paradox. Let us be a church that does this in Jesus' name, amen.